Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. Because politics needed a rebrand. <laughs> So today we're super excited to welcome a really, really fantastic guest, Shaley Severino. She is running for city council in New York City, and she's going to give us an inside look into local politics and how to make real change in your communities through city and local government. So welcome. Let's get it started. So my name is Shaley Severino. For those of you who don't know me, I am running for New York City Council District 32. So I'm out by Woodhaven, Ozone Park. Howard Beach and the Rockways. Um, and so I'm running, I feel like I'm asked this question all the time. Um, and I answer it differently every single time. Um, but you know, at the, at the core root of it, I'm running because there's a lot of injustice, right? And we have a lot of people in, in positions of power that they're not doing anything about it. They're not making the change that we're desperately in need for. Um, and so it was really out of frustration. You know, I did not plan to run at all. Um, I am 21 years old. I am a senior in college. Uh, so this was never, oh yeah, it was never in the <laughs> books for me to run right now. Um, I knew that I wanted to get into government and politics. Like, that's what I'm studying. That's I knew that that was the pathway for me. I just didn't know what that would look like. Um, and so when everything was going on this past summer, you know, with COVID-19 and the horrible response that we got from every single level of governance, um, including, mm -hmm. you know, the racial tensions and police brutality and also the increase of gun violence at the same time, you know, I was looking at it holistically, like what is going on and who are in these positions of power to really make that change? Um, and so I started to do a deep dive, right? I've spent days, I was like, oh my God, I have to look at what can be done. What can I do, mm -hmm. you know, other than just going out and marching and protesting that there's something, there has to be something more, um, something more tangible, something more long-term. And, you know, after my deep dive, I was like, well, you know, there's the city council. City council really does determine, you know, police laws. We have oversight abilities. Right. And so why are we still not doing anything about this? Right. We have a city fund that can really help businesses with PPE supplies and loans and all of these other attributes that no one's talking about that we're going to have to, you know, talk about eventually. Um, and so it was just a, a deep dive. And I was like, you know what, I have nothing to lose by running for office. Yeah. Um, and so I took the deep plunge and here I am a month after um, announcing. <laughs> that is so incredibly impressive i can't even begin um the fact you're 21 and still in college and running for office like 
absolutely incredible. Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I was being reckless, like doing stupid stuff and like you're out here changing the <laughs> Thank world. Thank you. So. I was doing reckless stuff last year. So, you know, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> hey, we all got to go through Gotta it. Gotta get it, of course. <laughs> <laughs> gotta get those years in. Um, well, that's amazing. And I mean, you're only a month in, so how is everything going? Are you running against people? How does that work on the city council level, um, like campaigning and, and that election? Yeah, so honestly, there is no rule book of how to run for office. Um, there's no like step-by-step guide. There's no foundations. There's no like mentorship program to get people to run for office, especially as women. Like it's harder for us to even make the decision to run for office. Um, and yeah. so it was just a lot of, Googling using platforms that are already out there, like she should run, wrote one lead. I'll always highlight them too, because they really did, so they do support women. Um, and they really give you that, you know, a little bit of, of feedback of how to go about things, how to do it. Um, and so that's how I started, you know, um, campaigning is not easy. That's the one thing that I've learned so far this past month. It is not easy. Um, and I think about often how much of it, it is a privilege to not have to work or not have to um, go to school while campaigning because that's what it requires. And the fact that, you know, personally for me, I can't stop going to school right now. I can't stop working right now. Um, and I see how it's, it is a privilege for other people to be able to do that. And I think of it as yeah. a barrier. You know, that's why a lot of women don't even go into office because they have a family to take such care of. Point. They have work to do because it's so time consuming. Um, so that's what I've yeah. noticed so far. I'm still trying to balance it all out together. I think it would be a lie if I was like, yeah, I haven't figured it out. Like, it's, <laughs> it's perfect. No, no, yeah. not at all. Um, still trying to figure out the ropes of balancing, taking six classes, you know, working as a paralegal, but then also, you know, running a campaign. Um, so the one thing oh that gosh. has been keeping me sane is having my team. My team, yeah. my team, my team. I will always highlight my team because without <laughs> them, I would not be able to do this. Um, and I think about how it really is about the movement, right? I started this campaign and I was like, no matter what happens, I want to start a conversation. Um, and I think that so far we have been able to do that. And I want to continue having that conversation between not only getting people active to vote and really get involved into local politics, which most people don't even think about or, or even know exists um, in a level that can really inflict change. And also just having the conversation about what is this position and what can we do with it? And what powers are, are within that. Yeah. I was also looking at your website. And the first thing I saw was um, you're an advocate, not a politician. What do you mean by that? And what does that mean to you? Yeah. So we spent months um, trying to think of a slogan, right? Because like the first thing that you think of, like someone who runs for office, is like, oh, they have to have a slogan, right? Like, of course. So we were just thinking like, yo, what are we gonna do? Like literally it was complete, like just the first few of us, it was only three of us in the very beginning for like the first two months. Um, Cause I made the decision to run it back in June and we announced in August, um, but it was just three of us. Um, and so we were just like, okay, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna frame this? How does it, you know, come off good? Um, and then out of nowhere, I was just like, well, I'm not a politician. I'm just trying to advocate for my people. And my policy director, he was like, well, that's your slogan, an advocate, not a politician. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> so 
And so it just stuck. It just stuck. And every time we we try to think of other things to make it, you know, we we had so many different ideas. We're like, well, what if we do this? And this is more inclusive and, you know, different verbiage. And it was just like, no, this is just not working. So we stuck with it. Um, And it really just goes back to the core fact of why I ran. Um, I'm trying to advocate and I will continue to always advocate for the people that are not in these room in this in these um rooms making decisions mm-hmm. right? um and so we we're seeing that there's a there's a what's the best word there is a disconnect between the people who are making decisions about us and those who are having to deal with these issues um and on the ground and so it's that's not just you know on a public safety level that's also on a business level for small businesses it's on the level of our homeless population we're not doing anything about it but yet we do have people who are in a position to make change right we're talking about housing and what does a affordable housing even look like in new york city i love it so funny that you say you know like politicians it's just not appealing it's not no one, it's not digestible in any way. And it's funny because at on the Gov, it's something we talk about a lot and how mm-hmm. politics in general is just such an unwelcome space. It just feels like super stale and old. Yeah. And we always talk about how it needs to essentially be rebranded. Um, so from our angle, I mean, I, I really, I appreciate what you're saying there too. And I think coming at it from a standpoint of being an advocate is just so refreshing because that's what a politician is actually supposed to do. So they're supposed to be elected to represent the people. So right. really see that into motion. I super, super impressed. No, thank you. That's why I love what you guys are doing because you're completely right. It is a, it's, it is a branding issue at the end of the day. And something that I always say is that we elect people into these positions. They are there to serve us, not the other way around. And so we have to really make that clear to certain people in certain positions and at all levels really that you are here to, con- to, to make the solutions to the problems that are here. Um, and we're not seeing that. And that's why mm-hmm. I feel like so many people are so disconnected with politics. When I tell people that I'm, running, that I'm running for office or that, or even before then, I'm studying government and politics, like that's what I'm doing. They're like, why? Like, why would you do that? <laughs> that's yeah. so disheartening. Why would you do that? And right? I'm like, well, why not? Everything we do has to do with politics. Everything that we talk about in life it's politics like it always goes back to to politics so one way or another so why are we not involved right so that's something that we need to work on if we you know if we ignore it it's not just going to go away then we're just not involved so it's approaching it head on and being involved and studying it and finding all these new mechanisms for making it work for us so I, i mean happy to see you know those wheels are turning on all ends and um you know be here having you know, this conversation is so so nice, but I know we're talking about also sort of the rooms that we're not in, those conversations we're not privy to, and city council is a great example of a place where representation, not so great on a lot of levels, but why did you choose city council in particular to run for? You know, there's definitely other positions. It could be a borough president or um, elsewise that could be appealing. What was and about city council specifically, we're like, I want to be in that. Room. Yeah, and it goes back to my strong belief in local politics. Local politics has so much power that we don't even tap into that resource. And so for me, I was looking at this holistically, and I was like, well, you know, I could, you know, run for Congress one day, right? Like, cool, awesome. 
but like to make change on a on a federal level is so much harder than making change on a local level. And so city council, you know, we have oversight privileges over certain departments. We can actually fund these departments and make it better so that it can actually work for everyone in it. Um, we have the ability to make laws, right? We can actually make laws even on the local level, which most people don't even realize that. And so it's talking, it's about shifting the narrative for me. Um, and that's exactly what I wanted to do. And I feel like on a local level, we can do that more effectively than waiting on the federal government to make that change happen for us. Um, I love the federal government, right? Um, I think that they can, they have a lot more money to make these changes, but waiting for the right administration to come in to do that, I think is gonna be a long time before we actually get some change. And so I think focusing on the local level right here at home, what can we do for our people, for our communities, for where our neighbors, right? Like what can we do right here, right now? Because um, yeah. we need solutions now. We, we can't wait four years for solutions. Yeah. We can't wait 10 years for solutions. We can't wait 12 years for solutions. We need them now because people need them now. Yeah. Working people need them now. Um, and so that's something that I wanted to do. And so city council was just, you know, screaming my name. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, too, I mean, if we had pe more people like you with that mindset, you know, caring about local government across the country, like the kind of change we'd see mm -hmm. widespread if everyone just focused on their communities and then we built up from there, um, I think we'd see really incredible change. And this conversation of this year and the topics and issues we've seen is really emphasizing local politics and how important it is which is amazing and I feel like a broken record at this point we've <laughs> talked about this in every episode but I'm glad we have because it, it is so important it is. but with COVID like most of that stuff is local politics and what's going on in in your life and in your community and what's opening that's you need to work with your local government and county government often to see progress there we saw obviously an incredible racial justice movement spark this summer um, for police reform and people really saw oh my gosh that's really mm -hmm. local government at the end of the day obviously there's different federal things we can apply that across the board can make change but it really starts right. um, with your mayors and how they're how they're you know governing their police force so tell us about that and is was that you know these issues that we've seen this year has that been a big catalyst for why you're running yeah a hundred percent a thousand percent it was one of those things where most people don't care about local politics. It was never attractive. And I think in my personal perspective, it's done, that happens on purpose. Um, the reason why we don't have civic engagement courses in our curriculum is on purpose. Um, there, there is a, there's a value for those in power to keep other people misinformed or not, knowledge of, not knowledgeable yeah. about the powers that certain positions can hold. And so I think that part of this conversation is about how can we make sure that our youth, our people in our generation, younger, older, are knowledgeable of these positions. I recently had a civic engagement um, in one of the parts of my district. I've been doing it every Saturday. Um, and the amount of people that have told me that they didn't know city council existed is still, till this day, ridiculous to me. People literally mm -hmm. saying, yeah, I didn't know mm -hmm. we had city council. Like, I didn't know New York had that. I didn't know cities had that. That's a, that's a body of governance. And having to break it down to them, like, yeah, it is. You know, you can actually go to your council members, speak to them about so many different issues that you're, that you're having, 
and they can solve those issues or at least bring it to the table. I mean, I think that's such a good point too about how local politics, it's really people, it's right in your reach. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when you think about politics, you're like, oh, there's, you know, Joe Biden or, you know, that senator is not going to listen to me. But these are your neighbors that are running for these positions. I mean, New York City is a little bit different. There's so many people right. there that's a little bit of a bigger community, right? But like for where I, where I live, like I could literally go probably knock on my city council member's door and have a conversation. Um, and so it's really in your reach if you want to see change. It's right there for you. Um, and the other thing is the dynamics of local politics is very personal. So again, these, you know, if you do have a problem or I worked um, in affordable housing a few years ago and projects don't get approved, like you can literally, if you don't want a project to be approved, like next to your house, you just go to your city council member and you talk to them and and they're so much more um, likely to listen to you too, Mm -hmm. because that's your neighbor. And if you want to be reelected, like your neighbor is right in your ear, like telling you what to do. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think speaking of just conversations that we're trying to, you know, bring into the everyday, obviously you have a platform that you're working with, um, that you're running on. Are there like three top issues that you would say are t- not even top of mind, uh, but that you're running on? Yeah, definitely. The number one is public safety and reimagining what that looks like. Um, it's, it's a tough situation and a tough conversation because my district actually holds the majority of NYPD officers, law enforcement, and civil servants in all of New York. Um, and so it's a conversation that people want to know. People want to know, you know, where do you stand on when you're, you're hearing these words of um, removing police force or completely revamping the system, right? And so it's a conversation that's very heavily right now, especially with all of the things that has happened throughout the course of the summer, or better yet, what has been highlighted, because let's be honest, it has been happening for years. Um, for decades, right? Since its inception, it's been happening, but it's now being highlighted on a platform where people are watching. Um, And Mm -hmm. so that's a very big platform piece for me. Um, I also have family in law enforcement. So it's also very dear to topic as well from that end, which I think provides me with the ability to kind of see both sides of one, this is not working for everyone, but also I have family law enforcement and this is their livelihood as just as much as it is for anyone else or any other job. And so I had to really piece together a platform that was inclusive of those both, uh, of both yeah. aspects really. Um, and so it's, it's presented there already. I'm still working on fine tuning it and that's gonna be released hopefully soon. Um, but it really talks about making sure that we have transparency and accountability within that system of policing. We have to be able to hold them accountable because we're seeing that when we're not and we haven't been you know, you have mm-hmm. these issues of police brutality, of harassment, of assault, and they get, and the system protects them. Our system protects these people who are acting within the, sh- the shield of their, of their badge. And so that completely dis- discredits the work of others who went into the police force, who went into law enforcement to stick to that model, protect and serve. And so yeah. we need to have that bigger conversation of how do we find a balance between um, making sure that everyone is protected and they are serving the community, but also they're not killing my people. Yeah. And I, I think your approach is great. And, you know, especially on an issue that shockingly has become so divisive when, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's pretty, it's a human rights issue. But 
it's right there. It's a human rights issue. It's bodies in the streets and it's a big deal. And but at the same time, the balance is very important. And I mm-hmm. think I'm very happy that you, you know, didn't make this black and white because it's not. And it's definitely like, not. Yeah. No issue is. It's comprehensive and it's all about, you know, a compromise, like you said. And um, I think that's very important because a lot of times politicians, which you're not, um, (laughs) tend to have to like pick one side of it and can't have that balance. And I think that's Mm -hmm. so important. Yeah, definitely. Like we need to also acknowledge that maybe certain people shouldn't be on the streets. And that's fine. We need to acknowledge that we don't live in a utopian world where crime doesn't exist. It's going to happen. Crime is going to be there. It's just finding a way to make sure that police aren't also contributing to gun violence by killing people while they're doing it, right? And then we also have to talk about mm-hmm. how do we properly manage this system in a way that really does work for everyone. We don't need a police um, homeless unit. That's not their job, right? We need to be able to make sure that we, we're talking about the issue at its core, which is lack of jobs, lack of affordable housing, and how to manage that because we don't need an NYPD um, homeless unit. Maybe we should re- redirect mental that. Health. Right. They don't even know how to manage someone who has a mental health issue because there's no training for that. There's no procedure in place for them to know if someone has a disability of whatever form that that might look like. And so we have to reimagine the system that currently exists, but also as we reimagine people who are running for office, and I'm not going to say just me, but anyone running for office, I would hope to see some sort of platform, some sort of tangible solution to these issues. Um, Another one is sustainability and environmental justice. Um, For sure, for sure. Part of my district is also out in the Rockaways. I don't know if you guys ever been to Rockaway Beach before. I love it. (laughs) Yes, it is amazing. I love going out there. Um, But it's it's a big issue. We have to talk about sustainability and really providing accessible um, quality foods and quality um, airspace as well because we're having the problem, especially with climate change, where we're not getting the, the the needs accessible into these communities that need it the most. Yeah, and I love I love to see also this factor that a lot of people don't know about, which is environmental justice. Which when somebody says that, a lot of people are like, "What does that? What could that even mean?" Mm-hmm. Um, I thought like the environment and climate change was just like you know not using plastic and like right. getting a Prius, but <laughs> there's this whole other side about how climate change is disproportionately affecting communities of color right um and that was also something like on tom steyer's campaign that he was running on that again i felt like people were just like okay what like what is that nobody i feel like it was almost a new term to people Mm -hmm. um so can you explain that a little bit and what that means yeah so like you said environmental justice really talks about making sure that we are talking and including um, communities of that's majority BIPOC into the conversation, which we haven't really been in. And so talking about how can we tackle this on a overall collective form of asthma and other um, pre-existing conditions that exist majority um, at a higher rate, better yet, in these communities. And it's because we're not, we don't talk about the issues that exist. You know, it's, it's also talking about reducing and removing mold or lead from our water or mold from our buildings and things like that because they're contributing to the overall issue and problems. Um, overall, every time that we talk about, you know, BIPOC focused um, communities, it's left outside of this conversation. That's pretty much, that. that's what happens. 
And so when we talk about environmental justice, it's what does that actually look like? What does having sustainable quality accessibility of not only foods, but also housing, what does that look like? Because we also have the, we also have to acknowledge that even through NYCHA or other public housing units, we're not, they don't have the adequate um, resources within these buildings to really maintain the, their lifestyle, their housing, their everything. And so we're talking about kids who are in this in these households. We're talking about our elderly population that's also in these households, and they're not in quality conditions. And so it always goes back to the um, relatively question: How do we make this relate to you? Because if you were in this situation, mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to be in a house that had mold or your water has lead. That's not something that you would want to live in. So why are we going to make it acceptable for other communities um, to exist in this in this nature? And so uh, when, it, when I talk about environmental justice, and this is not completely out yet, um, so working on tangible solutions for it is having the conversation of how do we make it more inclusive for our communities specifically. Yeah, or it's just like eating healthy in general and having access to eating, eating local and, you know, just having fast food as your only option. That's a major issue people don't realize. And food deserts in this country mm -hmm. are a major issue that people don't know exists, which essentially just means that there are places in this country where people just do not have access to nutritious food and it is right. detrimental to their health. And you can see that in data, even with just the health of some of these communities um, and the different diseases that they struggle with because of it. That's all a part of it. And um, again, I feel like is so often neglected. So that's awesome that for sure. you're including that. and. Yeah, for sure. Part of the district in Rockaways is considered a food desert for that exact reason, um, that there's just no quality access, there's no access to quality foods. And so how do we bring more green spaces into the Rockaways? It's, it's definitely one of the main platform points as well for me with this conversation. How do we bring more, more green spaces? How do we, you know, start community gardens or um, places that can really have these things that can also serve as green new jobs? Right? Like, I love talking about the fact that people are always saying, you know, how can you afford, you know, going green? Like, that doesn't even make sense. That's not even a tangible question. The amount of jobs that you can create by going green is going to stir this oh. economy in an yeah. immense way. Clean energy jobs think, are, yes. are the ticket to, like, the biggest economic boom we've ever seen in this country. It's And we need it. We yeah. need it, especially now with COVID. Especially now. So it's like, yeah. there's no reason why not. Like, there's no reason to not go green right now. This is the mm -hmm. perfect time to do so. Absolutely. I mean, just thinking about, like, the infrastructure that you need to build for that and the creativity and all the minds that can come together to really create solutions at every mm -hmm. level. I mean, that's its own economy right there. Um, but in terms of District 32 as a community, what are some of the other issues that the community faces that you are looking to solve for or would really like to have in the conversation? Senior care. We have a huge senior population in my district. Um, and oftentimes I feel like they're never in the conversation. Um, and it's it's disheartening because I'm actually the youngest of four. And so my parents, they're in like their 60s. So they're looking to retire soon. Like they're not trying to do anything. And I think about, you know, unfortunately my grandmother passed away, but I do have a grandfather. Um, and he's like 104. So he's really old. A centenarian. Yes, he, we love a centenarian. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's incredible. Yes. He's just like 104. <laughs> it's not 
yeah, you know, just nothing. <laughs> Amazing. Right. No, but he is, he, he is ample. He walks, he goes everywhere. Like he goes to church every Sunday still, you know, while they were open. Like he, he does what he needs to do. He loves to go grocery shopping, everything. But then I think about not everyone mm -hmm. can do that. Even if they're in their 80s, even if they're in their 90s, even in their 70s, not everyone could just walk to the grocery store and get what they need to get. Not everyone can just, you know, go to wake up and walk around. So it's making sure that our senior care is really up to par in our community and that we're being attentive to these issues. So um, we need to talk about making sure they have access to their medication and that they're actually taking it because, you know, you might not be able to open up a bottle of medication if you can't. Right. And you what if you forget a dose or you forgot to order it because the for some reason, the pharmacy, you know, backtraced their medication because of COVID and they were closed. You know what happens in that situation for them, especially if it's life or death medication. Um, and so I yeah. think for me and, and for the district overall is really highlighting the fact that we need to have procedures in place to make sure that our seniors are well taken care of. Um, that's a very, very big aspect of, of the issues that goes on in 32. Um, and then overall, I think as well, food access is another big issue. People don't really have access to quality foods, especially now with COVID-19 and the pandemic, a lot of people lost their jobs. And so it's like, how do you, you have to literally decide between paying rent, paying a utility bill or putting food on the table. And it's like, we could tackle this in multiple areas. We could talk about the affordable crisis, affordable housing crisis, and how do we really mitigate having people having to choose between rent and food. Um, we could talk about having the conversation, how do we make sure that everyone has access to food every day, um, but not just for them, but also their kids, you know, their husband, their spouse, whoever, making sure that everyone has access to food. Um, I think the community has done a great job by coming together and having food pantries, food drives, and things like that. But I think we need to expand that on a city council level. We need to make sure that everyone has access to foods um, and everyone has access to quality foods at that. And so on the city council level, I think we can start a bigger initiative, ensuring that people have access to it, um, as well as over the summer, um, even though schools were closed, they, you had free meals available. Why can't we have that yeah. year round? Right, like why can't we have that as also a resource for our homeless population? Why don't we have access for them to get quality foods year round from these schools? And so it's really right. stirring the conversation where it's like we have to include everyone in the community um, in order to make sure that we have a good society. Like that's really all that it comes down to, making sure that everyone is accounted for and everyone's taken care of. Um, and we're not seeing that right now. We haven't been seeing right. that, which is why these problems are continuing. Yeah. I mean, just everything you just said um, is it just another reminder, too. I feel like these are issues that really everyone is talking about across the country. They're, they're relevant problems for a lot of different places. Um, but this is what you're fighting for for your district, and you're going to be on city council, and you're going to tackle these issues. So just a reminder that you, <laughs> <Thank> can, you. <laughs> that you can get these problems solved on a local level so mm -hmm. I think that's just important to know again right. um but we did want to kind of move into our little segment called I have a stupid question <laughs> um <laughs> because again a lot of people don't know much about city government and local government and how that works um so kind of our first question is just 
generally speaking, like what is the role or purpose of city council? And like, what are some of the big things that city council and city government are responsible for that people should be aware of that they might not know about? Yeah, so I'll definitely start off by saying that when it comes to city council, a lot of the change can happen locally. Just overall, a lot of change can happen locally instead of having to wait for larger bodies of governance to make a decision that can later trickle down and Mm -hmm. affect you. Um, And so part of what city council can do is introduce um, and vote on legislation. Um, And so that those proposed laws really affect our city life and how we can balance, you know, whether it's housing, whether it's land use, whether it's um, oversight, like I mentioned before, to other departments, we can create laws in place. Um, We could also make resolutions, which might not have much of a power and influence, but they do serve, at least here in New York, they do serve as a prerogative for state assembly or state senate to maybe look at what we're doing here locally and make it a statewide um, law. And so those resolutions really do come in place um, in a great way. So one of the resolutions that I can think of on top of my head that I think would be really good is looking at the school curriculum, looking at the Department of Education curriculum. I know that we can't do that city council, but the, the state government can. And so maybe we can look at different ways that we can really benefit each other on a state level and also on a city level. Um, the city also, we do manage the city budget. That's one of the biggest powers that we have is balancing that budget, figuring out how we're going to distribute funds to departments, to agencies in a way that best fits the that best fits New Yorkers. Um, and so we have those abilities to provide oversight to other agencies as well. See where the money is going. What are they funding? What programs are they starting? Are they doing what they need to be doing? Essentially, right? Really breaking it down. What are they doing, and what what are they doing it correctly? we have that power to really see. Um, And then overall, we also get to review land use um, and make decisions about developers or if they're whether or not they're going into our neighborhoods or not. Um, Recently, I don't know if you guys know about Sunset Park. So that was a really big project that the community said, no, we don't want this. And that happened. They really were able to remove that developer from coming into the neighborhoods. Um, And that just goes back to showing people Mm -hmm. power, collective action. And people also being aware of what city council does, because it is on city council jurisdiction to decide that. So people were really able to wake up, so to speak, right? Wake up and say, listen, we don't want this. Who can we go to about this issue? And it was quick, you know, quick responses and quick results um, that way. I mean, I, my parents have something similar happening to their house. There's like some big retirement like development like bougie place going up like Mm -hmm. right next to our house and I'm like just go and like get your community and get your neighbors and go to city council and say Mm -hmm. no this isn't going here um or amend it tremendously that's the other thing if you don't need to completely block something you can say I need that to go down like five stories um I need like half the capacity there's so many things you can do Mm -hmm. um to really amend these things and um again they're you're literal, literally your neighbors. They're right there. They're accessible to you, and you can get results very fast. I think even my parents didn't believe me when I was telling them that. I'm like, this isn't like you're not reaching out to the White House. Like these are people mm-hmm. right in your backyard that you can form, form a coalition right. of your neighbors and get whatever you need done. No, yeah, because there's definitely a process throughout all of this decision making where there's hearings 
and throughout the course of these hearings if you go and testify and you know especially your your you said your father right yeah yeah so you could be like hey dad there's gonna be a hearing on this day right here's the website and go and make sure that you testify and tell them why you need that to be five stories down okay they can't have a side <laughs> door because it goes into the backyard you know like whatever fixes that you need that building to adjust they mm -hmm. can do that um through the course of that hearing process where they city council is supposed to promote this more that's another problem that i feel like we definitely need to fix people need to know that they can actually go and speak to city council members, people in these committees to have these conversations of, this is not gonna work out. We don't want this developer. This is not gonna work. And really demand that. And through the course of that hearing process, they can't. Um, that's where things are gonna get drafted. That's where things are gonna get changed. Um, if we don't want it at all, that's also a conversation throughout that course of the hearing process. Um, and so really highlighting that time where we want community feedback is gonna be crucial because most people don't yeah. go to hearings and it's like, but why? This is your time to really voice your opinion. Totally. And I think even the accessibility of the hearings, I definitely think that's something that might need to change as well, mm -hmm. because there's so many times where there's been an issue. I'm like, that would be really great to, you know, go and speak on, or I, without a doubt, have an opinion, but it's in the middle of work. I can't go. Right. I'm not, I can't take a day off to necessarily go and voice my opinion at a hearing. And if I'm not saying, or if I'm saying that, I mean, I can't be the only one. Right. So I think the processes also in city council in New York and elsewise also need to change. They need to work for the working person, exactly. the normal or the student, the actual everyday person that is being impacted by these issues. So that it's kind of another can of worms, mm -hmm. but it's back to that accessibility issue. And I feel like that is just a constant thing that we're running into. Right. It's just these entry or they're so they seem so small but they really have like such a lasting impact yeah right and it doesn't have to be much either like again this isn't like a statewide or a federal wide coalition you're building where you mm -hmm. have to like hit the streets and organize and like do all this stuff it's like talk to some neighbors get a decent amount of people um in your community again not much um and go and go to a city council meeting and propose what you need to propose and you really be surprised at what you can achieve um and i feel like it's just a great way exactly. to be again civically engaged and achieve these really like major major existential issues sometimes like in your own neighborhood i think that actually leads me to my next question and i know you know we talk about local politics obviously in terms of at the city level but there is that state level which a lot of people still consider local to some in some thoughts but does city council at all interact with state government is are they entirely separate or is there ever like some instance where state government puts something into effect and it trickles down to city council or vice versa yeah so ideally we're supposed to have a state government and a city government that works together Currently in New York, we have a governor and a mayor who are who are at odds on most issues, if not all. Um, so that definitely leads to some issues that you might see trickle down. So like even using the example of education, right? You know, the mayor is going to say one thing, but then the governor says another, and so like the information gets lost to parents because they're like, well, when is when is school going to start, right? Like when are they supposed to go to school? What is the process going to look like? are the procedures in place for them to go to school during COVID, right? And so like, that's just one small example, not a small one, but that's one example of how we need to have a system that the state and the local government really do work together. Um, so 
technically speaking, they're both local, right? Like state government and lo and city council and the city government are local compared to the federal government and how that structure looks like when it comes to the House and the Senate and all of that. Um, but they do work on different issues and they do have separate powers. And so a lot of the things that we're seeing on a city council level happens only in the city of New York, while the state government really happens overall. So that's why it's such important and crucial that they work together in order to ensure that all needs are being met in all areas of the city and of New York in general. Um, so yeah, that's really something that we have to work on because we're seeing that it hasn't been um, for a very long <laughs> oh, yeah. time. So ideally, yes, we should be working together. Ideally, we should be able to overlap ideas um, for that it can trickle down to like working day people, everyday people, um, but we're not really seeing much of it. And so even with the example of education, again, you know, city council, we can't decide the curriculum, but the state assembly, state senate can't. And so that's something that can be seen on a state level that can be brought into the table by city council. And that's how we can work together. Um, it's crucial that we do. It's very crucial that we're able to be on the same page when it comes to certain issues and certain topics to ensure that all needs are being met all around. Yeah, 100%. Okay, well, we did want to kind of talk about um, stuff going on in the news that that is relevant. Um, the first thing that we want to talk about is the conversation of women and women of color and representation. Um, this has definitely been like a key conversation across many levels of politics, um, but has been particularly relevant in New York City in recent years with term limits. Um, and it's possible that there will be less than five women on city council after the 2021 election. Um, so has this been a motivator to run for you? And like, what has it been like running as not only a woman of color, um, but you're so young? And how has that dynamic come into play as well? Yeah, so that was definitely a major issue that I saw the first time that I was at New York City Council, Google, right? <laughs> we love Google. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, what do you mean there would only be five women in city council? Like, it's ridiculous. And so I was like, yeah, this, this is not okay. You know, what can be done? And so this is an amazing organization called 21 and 21. And so their number one goal is to really empower women to run for office and really providing them with the resources to do so. And so that's one of the many initiatives um, that we need to continue to have. We can't allow, and I personally believe this strongly, I don't like the fact that we have men deciding what to do with our bodies, mm -hmm. deciding what we can and can't do. Mm -hmm. um, that's just not okay with me. And so we have to make sure that we do have proper representation in city council and in all levels of governance, really, um, to properly advocate for the issues that we have for so long. We have seen that men have been deciding these things, you know, and that's so problematic because it's like, so what are you trying to say about women? Are you saying that we can't lead, but we have been? Are you saying that we can't take care of our communities? Because again, we have been. Right. Like, what are you, what's the messaging here? And so that's the sort of brand that society has placed on what politics looks like. You know, it's not a woman's job, but it is, it is. I feel like every issue always comes back to being a woman's issue. And so why are we not in these conversations talking about not only reproductive rights and women's rights, but also housing, that's a woman's issue. Mm -hmm. Education is a woman's issue. 
sustainability is a woman's issue. All issues are a woman's issue. So why are we not in these rooms where decisions are being made? The gender parity in politics is already large enough um, and we don't want to make it even more, like worse. And so even on a local level, especially, we want to make sure that we do have proper representation in that of women, men, um, trans family out there as well, um, to be in these tables as, as well and make the, making these decisions as well, you know, non-binary, cisgender, non um, any sort of identifying um, name that you might have, that person deserves to be in that room yeah. as well. Um, and so it's talking about the different intersectionalities of identity. You can identify as whatever you want. Or nothing <laughs> And it at doesn't all. matter. <laughs> or nothing at all. And that's perfectly fine. But well, we need you in these rooms making decisions. Yeah. And so that's the, that's the number one goal um, that we should have. I'm looking forward to seeing a more diversified city council. I think if we do this correctly... <laughs> And if people go out to vote, you know, I think we can achieve that. I think we could achieve one of the most diverse city councils that's ever existed. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah, it, it's really crazy to see the lack of representation and just thinking like, wow, like a progressive city could really only have five women on city council, five Ridiculous. women people. And that, I mean, even just thinking about, okay, well, term women is pretty broad, right? There's so many mm -hmm. different identifiers within that umbrella. So right. there's no way that then just only five people represent that entire conversation. So mm -hmm. that that definitely worries me. But yeah, 21 and 21, I'm so glad you gave them a shout out. They are a great organization. We actually did an event with them. Um, oh my gosh, it was literally right before COVID at Scream. Wow. Um, our last sort of event, like literal event before, like we all like packed up our bags and we're like, okay, like I guess I won't have human interaction for like <laughs> forever. Little, little do you we know. Right. Um, yeah, they're great. And their mission is so amazing. And also just, I, I can't mm -hmm. get away from just saying surprising that it even needs to be a mission. Yeah. Well, we want to talk about also um, term limits um, and how been a topic that's been not only relevant in city council races but we've seen this discussion now with SCOTUS and what's going on um, in the news with RBG's passing and how you know we're really just debating whether people should be in positions of power for a lifetime for a career like mm -hmm. um, is that what we need or do we need fresh faces and fresh ideas um, continue like circulating um, at a much faster rate so what are your thoughts on term limits? And do you think they're effective in allowing new voices to be heard? I love term limits. <laughs> I absolutely love term limits. Why did I have a clue you were going to say that? <laughs> it might be a Gen Z thing. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, we need new perspectives, ideas brought to the table. And we can't do that if someone is there for 40 plus years. Not going to work. I think this is also a good it's an addition to the conversation of representation um and mm -hmm. at the end of the day when we have the same people in office who are in say like dc for life and they're in that circle and they're in that political arena and shrouded by big donors and lobbyists like they don't be they become not representative of the people unfortunately um exactly and 
in order to break that power structure and that corporate control of our government, like we need term limits so desperately. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we when we enact something like that, um, we it will be a catalyst to some real, real monumental change. Um, so yes, I also love term limits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> right because when we have the conversation of you know how to properly advocate for our communities it's the people who are living through that in the actual community that are going to be able to properly right. bring that to a position of power yeah right like we we can advocate and we're advocating we're activists we're doing all the, we're doing the work but now let's get into the room where the decisions are being made um just recently there was a historic um win for Cori bush she was a leading leading activists in the Black Lives Matter movement. And now she's in Congress. And so I can expect, and I know that we can all expect her to bring some legislation to the table, her bringing some co-sponsored bills in order to really enact the changes that we need to see on every level of government. And so it's part of that work and effort where we make sure that we have people who have been doing the work, our activists, our advocates, our everyday nurses, doctors, teachers, in these positions where they can actually make the change. And so when we have term limits, we're allowing space for that. We're allowing there to be room for someone to kind of pick up that mantle or better yet passing the baton to someone else to take over and make those changes that are needed. Because it's it's, it's really impossible to think that someone who has been in office um, in a certain position for 40, 60 years for them not to be corrupt. In this day and age of politics and what we think of politics and what it has become, come on now. Especially yeah. if you, the higher up you go, you know, Congress and all these other positions, yeah. you know, there's a lot of corporate money. There's a lot of, you know, decisions being made behind the scenes by our interest packs. And in order to really mitigate that, we have to make sure that they don't have unlimited power to do whatever they want. Yeah, and I think I I always wonder about almost like the job stability of it and the appeal of that. You know, it's always hard to run against someone that's already been in office. And so once you're you're in there for a while, I mean, I feel like it's easy to not only get disconnected, but to sort of feel like, oh, I've got like, it's easy. Like, all right, I've Mm -hmm. got my health insurance. I've got my nine to five, like whatever you want to call it. These things are sort of, you know, set and provide a, a nice platform. And as a result, I feel like I see so many people running like re-election campaigns, but not actually doing anything. Like oh, they're they're running again. And I, I'm just constantly like, but like, what have you been doing like for the last right. many years? And I think too, maybe that branches into another conversation of not just the term limits, but how long is each term? Is two years, maybe, maybe two years is too short for anything to get done. I'm open to like that idea, right? But mm-hmm. six years is really like something else. Is something that puts us in a in a dangerous position where change isn't close enough or tangible enough that you know if something happens, we we can't make any changes. And right. I, I think there it, it's it's democratic reforms as well. You know, I think mm-hmm. as a country, we're continuing to grow and expand and think about so many new perspectives and deal with so many new issues that didn't exist 50 years ago, or at least weren't addressed, weren't made, you know, part of the conversation. And I think the way that we handle and go through evaluating how to solve for these problems has got to change too. I mean, as I'm like kind of on this rant, I suppose, but it's, if I thought about this on my, my day-to-day job, if something's not right. working, 
we change the system because then what happens? The client exactly. hires us because we didn't figure out how to do it. So why does that mentality not transfer over into this sphere? And I think term limits make it really, it, it creates a really nice way to remove the safety nets and say, hey, if you're not doing a good job or maybe you know it, your work here is done, here is your next retirement package. <laughs> please collect at the door and wave goodbye. Like, yeah. Right. I think with also, sorry, I'm just, we're, we're really going off on this topic, but like, <laughs> as we should yeah. Be. And I think, um, too, when you break down, like someone who's in office for decades, also, they almost become like trapped in idea, like an ideological standpoint. So they become yes. trapped in what they said 20 years ago and something that they did 20 years ago. And they, it becomes hard for a lot of these elected officials to evolve. And if they really do want to become representative and change, they have to like, go back on a word or be called a hypocrite. And there's this whole like kind of political um, pushback to evolution with, right. with these like long-term sitting elected officials that I think just isn't helpful and it isn't progressive. Um, wow. I didn't like, I knew I was like into like term limits and like the vibe, but guys, we really, <laughs> Hey, I think it's like a very, I, yeah, I, I think it's a conversation people like low key feel inside, but we just haven't gotten mm-hmm. all out yet. And here, now's we the have time. to get it out. We have to get it out. <laughs> right. We have to get it out. Yeah. Yeah. This is a therapy session. So <laughs> You know, a part-time podcast, part-time therapy mm-hmm. session. It's okay. Yeah. You know? Normalized <laughs> therapy. One-stop shop. <laughs> no, but yeah, definitely. Because, you know, this has everything that we've mentioned, but also how do we really expect change? You know, how do we expect change if we don't pass the baton to someone else who might be in the community, who might be seeing the problems? And like you said, we have times where things are going to be changing, you know, I think about this a lot because there's a lot of trans men and trans women running for office right now. And 20 years ago, that never would have been the case. Yeah. Never would have been the case. Literally 10 all. years ago. But, right, right. And so right now we're giving this, we have this platform and it's because of term limits. These city council members, they're termed out. 35 historic seats are termed out. We could completely revamp what we think of New York City Council, what we think of New York politics, what we think of legislation and policy being brought forth by the by the council. I am very hopeful. I am very hopeful for this for this term, and I think it's reflective of people who are evolving as well in mentality, where we could actually tangibly see a solution or at least a hope. We have hope now for a better way of of, of living and it's part of what you guys have been saying for the longest. It's a branding issue. But if we can rebrand politics in a way that is actually for us, that's powerful within itself. And we're seeing that because of the hope of term limits. So why not have it at every level? I think that is just a great note to end on. And you just wrapped it up so beautifully. Um, But we did want to, you know, kind of give people next steps um, and some tangible things to do if they want to learn more about you or um, about your candidacy. So um, for anyone listening, if you want to go visit um, the website, do you want to plug plug your website for everybody? Yes, shameless plug right now. And Instagram, <laughs> social media, everything. Let's hear it. Yes, yes. The website is severinoforcitycouncil.com. So Severino, just for the spelling, is S-E-V-E-R-I-N-O. 
Um, and then the IG Instagram is Severino for City Council as well. Uh, Twitter is Severino for D32. And then that is all I have. Facebook, you know, if you use Facebook, you know, Severino hey. for City Council, I'm there too. <laughs> no, that was so, perfect. Really trying to utilize social media. Yes. So definitely, you know, feel free to contact me. I you I monitor all of my social medias myself. Good. So if you DM me, you're speaking to me directly. Good. Um, so <laughs> definitely go ahead and do that. Website, we all start looking for volunteers 24-7. So you want to join our team and our movement definitely go ahead and fill that out or dm me if you have any questions regarding any positions available and internships as well amazing we love to see it um well great thank you so much i am just like in awe of you you are incredible um and thank you so much for having me yeah of course anytime anytime and we wish you the best um with your campaign and i can't wait to see what happens same we will be following along so closely um i'm so excited so thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure thank you so much for having me Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.